Good morning. My name is Jason Espy. I'm an elder here at Calvary. Uh, we're going to be doing our scripture reading today. It's going to be in uh, the first chapter, the third chapter, and the fourth chapter of Ruth. Alright, so starting in verse 19 in chapter 1 of Ruth. So they both went up to the, so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. Alright, chapter 3, we're going to read the first four verses. Uh, verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. And then let's continue in chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons who has given birth to him. Okay, verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor woman, women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of, of David. Thus says the Lord. Uh, bow with me in a brief word of prayer, and then we will dive in. Father, we thank you for this morning. We, we, uh, we bring before you our many faults. In our many mistakes, and Lord, we know that you are a good Father that forgives us and that encourages us to come before him. And Lord, we thank you that we have a God that is relational, that desires to know us, for us to pursue him. And Lord, this morning I just pray that we would learn from the life of Naomi, a life of a servant of God, and let us live out her example in our lives. And we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again. I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving this last week. Um, but if you have your Bible, turn to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 is where we will be today. And today, what I want to talk to you about is this right here. Now, if you cannot see what is up here on stage, this is a blue mug. And I went into my cabinet this morning and just so happened, this is literally just, I just grabbed a mug out of my cupboard and it says, Dulas Christu Yesu. Okay. What that means is this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Maybe God allowed me to pick this particular mug. It seems to be. But what this mug says, and you, hang on, you know that you're a nerd, okay? 
when you have a mug in a different language in your cabinet, okay, I'm just saying that. This says a servant of Christ Jesus. That's what I want to talk to you about today is about being a servant of God. About being a servant of God. Because what we see in our story is Naomi, this woman whose name means pleasant. She gives us the example of a servant of God and she gives us a couple of pieces of advice. Just to kind of quickly introduce this to you, we are in our second week of a five-week series. Just go ahead and shut it off. All right. So we are in the second week of a five-week series going through the book of Ruth, and we are spending the weeks leading up to Christmas unpacking this book. And this book is, is twofold. Number one, it is a story of redemption just like Christmas. Christmas is a story of redemption. But also, the reason we're unpacking this book is because this story led Jesus to be born in a little town called Bethlehem. And last week, we unpacked the story of Ruth. We saw the conflict in the story that Naomi has lost her husband and her two sons. We saw the climax and the conclusion. And then today, and over the next few weeks, what we want to do is I just want to pick a character. And today I want to zoom in on the character of Naomi. And I want to see her story. This woman whose name means pleasant, who changes her name because of her circumstances. I want us to see her story. And her, her story is the picture of a servant of God. But if, if I'm honest, as I was thinking about just this idea of serving the Lord, we in our churches today, we have a profound misunderstanding of what it means to be a servant of God. We have a profound misunderstanding of what it means to be a servant of God. And that is, in my opinion, a root of root cause of dysfunction in our churches in America. I mean, think about we have some misconceptions of what it means to be a servant of the Lord. That in churches today, not necessarily this churches, but in churches in, at large, that being a servant of God it entails a life of prosperity with minimal pain. Funny, I don't see that in the scripture. As Christians, we believe that being a servant of God is voluntary or optional being a servant of god is really about what i do and not about what i think or what i believe that being a servant of god is about a one day a week calling i mean if you think about it on the surface we i mean i mean okay on the surface if you've been in church for any length of time then you know what it means to be a servant of god right that we must deny ourselves, take up a cross and follow him but we don't really see that word must we view it as i should i should deny myself take up a cross and follow him so today what i want to see is what it means to be a servant of god and we want to change the way that we view that concept because what it's doing is harming our spiritual lives is causing dysfunction in our churches and today we fix it we see the example of a servant of the Lord, and her name is Naomi. And today I would like to begin in Ruth chapter 1. I plan to put the verses up here, but the TV had some issues this morning. But if you remember the story of Naomi, we talked about it last week. Her life has great ups and it has great downs. Her life begins with tremendous ups that she marries a godly man named Elimelech, which his name means, My God is King. 
Perhaps he's from a godly family. We do not know. But he is a righteous man from all things that we can discern. And they live in an unrighteous time in the time of the judges. And then she has two sons. She has ups. Her sons are Malon and Kilion. I don't know why she called them that. As I talked about last week, their name means weak and sickly. Okay? So confusing. Why has she named them that? But then... Her story gets even better. Her two sons marry women named Orpah and a woman named Ruth. And then her life turns. That in her ups, in her mountaintop experiences, she is pleasant. She has two sons. She's married to a man named Elimelech. They marry. They move to a new country. And then there, as a foreigner in a land, her husband dies. And then they continue to live there for another decade, and then her two sons die. And then at the end of our story in Ruth chapter 1, all Naomi is left with is a woman named Ruth, which means companion, Orpah, meaning neck, turns her back on her. And then it says, Naomi heard of the Lord coming back and blessing the nation of Israel. So Naomi and Ruth return to a little town called Bethlehem, and the word Bethlehem means the house of bread. I'm going to ask you a question in just a second. I want you to think, Naomi started, life started out with such great promise. She's married to a godly man. She's done everything right. She's had two sons. Her sons have become productive members of society. She, they have married, and what does she expect? She probably expects grandkids, and all of that has been taken from her. When she walks back into the city of Bethlehem after 10 years, after all that has taken place, how do you think she's feeling? This is called an observation of atmosphere. If you've been sitting in my hermeneutics class, that's what that is. How do you think she's feeling after being 10 years abroad, going out full and returning empty? How, what does her inner world look like? I'm asking. What is she feeling? Awful. Angry. What else? Bitter. What else? Hopeless. Confused. So notice in your text, chapter 1, that's where we pick up today. In Ruth chapter 1, this servant of God reveals how she feels. Verse 19. So they both, were both as Ruth and Naomi. I didn't say both. Okay, I get teased on staff for that one. Both. So they both went until they came back to their hometown called Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, notice this next part. All the city was stirred because of them. And the women of the village said, is this Naomi? So after 10 years abroad, they ask, is this Naomi? She returns. And think about it. She went out as a family of four. She went out with a husband and two sons. She's returning back to her hometown after 10 years abroad. And then notice what it says. When they had come back to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred. The whole city was stirred. Why? I mean, the town of Bethlehem is not like the city of Huntsville. We, we sometimes view cities in the Old Testament as this, you know, this gigantic city, but it's really a village. And think about this. I mean, if you were here last week, then you know the story of Ruth. 
Who, her two closest relatives live in the city of Bethlehem, right? So Boaz and the other closest kinsman redeemer. What does that probably tell you about the town of Bethlehem? That number one, it's probably small because they found the closest relative, but also number two, probably the vast majority of the people that live in Bethlehem are probably related to Ruth. So it's like a family reunion, okay? So Naomi has been gone for 10 years. She walked out with a, as a family of four. Then she returns to this village of all of her distant cousins and relatives, and she returns with only her daughter-in-law. And notice the entire town is in a stir. Of course they are because her life has changed. They're probably expecting Naomi to return with a couple of grandkids, and then she shows up with this woman named Ruth as her daughter-in-law. Um, on, on Thanksgiving Day, we were sitting there talking at my house, and there are two prominent themes in the book of Ruth. One of them we talked about last week, of God's redemption. And then my father-in-law pointed out that also this book talks about the faithfulness of God. If you had lived abroad for ten years, and you walked out as a family of four, and you returned as a widow and motherless woman... How would you be feeling? You would be feeling like God has forgotten you, that God is absent. Notice how she feels in verse 20 of chapter 1. So Naomi said to them, do not call me Naomi. Remember, Naomi means pleasant. Call me, say that word with me, Mara. For the Almighty, notice that, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Wait a second. Who does she blame for her problems? Who does she blame for her affliction? God. And the Almighty has afflicted me. Can I just speak? This is kind of off script, off notes. Is that okay? Is it okay to blame God for your afflictions? Everybody say yes. If, you, if, you're, if you've ever been angry with God, guess what? That makes you normal, okay? We, we, we idealize everything, but if you are really struggling with whether you can be really honest with God, then read this story or read the Psalms. Naomi turns her name from pleasant to bitter or Mara, and of course she is. She is angry. But I want you to notice, what does she call God? She calls him, what? Verse 20, do not call me Naomi, but call me bitter, okay? For the Almighty has dealt, she's, she's uh, interesting with her name. She called one son sick and one son weakly, and then she calls herself bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, verse 21, I went out full, but the Lord Notice that, all caps, has brought me back empty. What does she call God? She calls him Almighty, and she calls him Lord. All caps. Now, I'm a bit rusty in my Hebrew, but I went and looked up this word Almighty, and it is the Hebrew word Shaddai. And of course, the all caps Lord is the Hebrew word Yahweh. The word Shaddai is a name that God gave to himself in Genesis chapter 17, Almighty in Genesis chapter 17, he is speaking to a man named Abram, 
and God calls himself Almighty, and he turns in Genesis 17, he turns Abram's name into Abraham, meaning the father of a great multitude. So despite Abraham's age, God Almighty is able to allow Abraham to be the father of a great multitude. In other words, what? When she says Almighty, she is saying that God is sovereign and he is in control. Therefore, what? I blame him for my problems. This word Shaddai tells me two different things. Number one, that she blames God for her affliction. And rightfully so. Is it okay to tell God how you truly feel? Psalm 139 says, what, even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. God knows if you're bitter at him already. He knows if you blame him already. He knows that what you're thinking. Ecclesiastes 7.14, it says this, in the day of prosperity, be happy, Naomi, and in the day of Adversity, consider, God has made one as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Job 2.10 says, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? That the Lord Almighty should I, what she calls him, she is blaming, she is saying to him that you are responsible for what has happened to my sons and my husband. I mean, look at the scripture, Psalm 13. David says this, verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You look at characters throughout the Bible, they all wrestle with the ups and downs of life. You look at David, you look at Joseph, you look at a man like Elijah who immediately after calling down fire from heaven, then runs away to the caves and wants to die and despairs of all of life. Number one, she blames God for her affliction. But then number two, the fact that she calls God Shaddai in Yahweh tells me that she doesn't give up on her faith. She doesn't give up on her faith. Because if she didn't love him still, she probably would have used the Hebrew word El or Elohim, which means God. It's kind of a generic name for God, but instead she what? She recognizes God as Almighty, as Shaddai, that He is in control, that He allowed this pain into her life, and she calls Him Lord. The all-caps Lord, I'm not going to do an exhaustive study of the all-caps Lord here today. I do it often. But the name Yahweh to a Jew signifies the covenant-keeping God, that God will keep his promises. So she hasn't given up on the whole idea of faith. Principle number one, I plan to put it up here, a servant of God in times of prosperity and ups, be pleasant in joy. Why? Because downs are coming. Amen? If you've lived with Jesus for any length of time, then you know that that is the case. That we have great times in life, and then we have valleys of despair. Anybody else agree with that? I mean, yeah? But in down times, in difficult seasons, what does Naomi do? She hangs on to her faith. 
She calls God Almighty and calls Him Lord. Our tendency in life, in times of difficulty, is to forego everything. I've seen it, man. I've seen so, can I just speak, I've seen so many Christians walk away from their faith in difficult seasons. Because how could a good, loving God, what? Allow that to happen, right? But what are they missing when that happens? What are they missing when they say that? Who introduced sin and brokenness into the world? This guy, our father named Adam, that through him and through his sin that we introduced brokenness and sin into the world. God did not. So the fact that we suffer is our fault originally. The biggest thorn in a Christian's life is the problem of pain. How could a good, loving God allow so much suffering to take place? When you are Mara, when you are like Naomi, when you are bitter and struggling with your faith, what should you do? I'm going to encourage you to hang on to your faith. Just even if it's by a thread. Hang on to faith. Do not forsake the Lord. Why? Because He is Almighty. He is sovereign. He is Shaddai. And He is Yahweh. He is the covenant-keeping God. The God that keeps His promises. So we see her ups and her downs. We see this servant of God. Her name means pleasant. She turns it into bitter or anger. She blames God for her problems. And that's okay. God knows you do anyways, okay? So just tell him anyways, okay? Ruth, chapter 3. But notice what she does. So here you have Naomi. She is struggling with all of these questions of life. She's struggling with all of this bitterness, all of this resentment, all of these questions. But then notice what she does next in Ruth, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Then Naomi... Her mother-in-law said to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek for security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, anoint yourself. Make, put your makeup on, smell good, put on good clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating. Notice verse 4 of chapter 3. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you shall do. Um... That's pretty scandalous. I, I mean, think about what she's asking him, her to do. I mean, so after Boaz has had a glass of wine, after he's eaten and feeling good, after he has fallen asleep, I want you to go find him, okay, all right? And I want you to go lay down beside him and uncover his feet. Okay. Now this is probably a good thing that Ruth 
is before the days of guns. I'm just saying, okay? Because that would, I mean, could you imagine, just, just go with me on this. Imagine you wanted to sleep at work. Okay, I'm not sure why you would want to do that, but Boaz's threshing floor is work, okay? That's what he does for them. Imagine you wanted to sleep at work, and you fell asleep after drinking a glass of wine, and you had some food, and you slept on your couch, and all of a sudden you woke up in the morning, and somebody is lying beside you. That's what she's asking Ruth to do. But what Naomi is encouraging Ruth to do is to follow the will of God, because this is God's will for Ruth. Why do I say that? Principle number two is this. A servant of God encourages others to follow and to seek God's will. A servant of God encourages others to seek God's will. Why do I say it's God's will? Now, can I just pause? Even in the midst of our own misgivings and problems, if you're a true servant of God, you should encourage even other people to seek Him even if you have your own struggles. But why do I say that this is the will of God for Ruth to go down to the threshing floor and to make this proposition to Boaz? Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. The word Deuteronomy literally means the second giving of the law. So Deuteronomy is the law itself. It's the part of the Torah, part of the instructions given to the nation of Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, we see the process of a kinsman redeemer. And it is law. It's part of what the nation of Israel is supposed to do. God made it clear in the Old Testament that in the days before life insurance, if a husband dies, then the next of kin was to take the wife to provide for her and produce on her behalf of the deceased brother an heir that would inherit his land. So the reason it is the will of God, number one, is because it's spelled out in the law. But then number two, how many of you have ever read uh, Genesis 38 in the story of Judah and Tamar? Anybody read that story? Um, if you haven't read it in a while, especially reading it as an adult, um, you'll be shocked that that's in the Bible. Okay, I'm just saying. That is an example of this process of the kinsman redeemer. And God took the process of kinsman redeemer so serious that he struck Judah's son dead for not doing it properly. It is God's will for Ruth to meet Boaz on the threshing floor to ask him to be her kinsman redeemer. And despite her own struggles, Naomi encourages Ruth to follow the Lord's will. You might today have your own misgivings. You might be having a little bit of bitterness and resentment towards God. You might be, want to be changing your legal name to Mara. Um, but despite it all, you should encourage other people to also follow the will of the Lord. Notice Boaz's reaction in chapter 3. Now this is the climax of the story. Now it is true that I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Verse 13 of chapter 3, remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, great. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. We see God's faithfulness here. 
that God has provided a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, somebody to take care of her, somebody to provide an offspring on behalf of her dead husband Malon, to inherit the land of Malon and Kilion. Boaz is signing up for that. But Boaz is such a man of integrity that he knows that he's not the next in line. So he must obey the law. And go to the closest relative to see if he wants to redeem her. But what we see here too is God's redemption. And what I said last week is that God's redemption is often beyond sight, but waits for those who trust him. As it says in chapter 2, Boaz says, For those who seek refuge in the shadow of the wings of the Lord. So Naomi has her own struggles. She changes her name, but she encourages Ruth to continue to follow the Lord. And what I... There's, there's a lot of great things about this story. Um, but every great story. I mean, think about every movie you watch, your favorite movies. Like, have you ever seen Ben-Hur? Okay, that's a really great movie, the 1959 edition. Okay, I thought it was really boring as a kid, but it's actually really great. Um, every great story has great redemption. Notice, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in all of Israel. Wait, wait, verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. So wait a second. The son, Obed, is Naomi's redemption. But Boaz is Ruth's redemption. Verse 13. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And notice this next part. Verse 17. The neighbor women, wait a second, it's the same women that mentioned in James, or James, uh, Ruth chapter 1, that is this Naomi? Is this the one that went out full and came back empty? It's the same people. Verse 17, the neighbor women gave him a name. Who named him? A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Principle number three is this. A servant of God must walk by faith and not by sight. Must walk by faith and not by sight. Um, put yourself in Naomi's shoes for just a second. Okay? We've already seen the progression of her faith. She was bitter, but she encouraged Ruth to follow the Lord. Okay, and then she has a grandson born to her. Okay, what is your fear? If you are Naomi and you have a grandchild born to you, what is your fear? What? Is God just going to take away this child? Is God just going to punish me some more? Is God going to make me afflicted even more? Again, for the third time. But here... She must walk by faith and not by sight. She has to trust God. Can I just... Um, if you're a servant of God and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to trust Him. You don't have any choice. And you have to walk by faith and not by sight. God is not in front of you. You can't taste, touch, or smell Him. It'd be weird if you did, okay? You have to trust Him. But the question is not... 
to me. Um, do you have to trust them? The question is, what do you trust? Right? You trust his character, that he is Shaddai, that he is almighty, he is the sovereign God of the universe, he is in control, he understands, he sees you, he hears you, and you have to realize Yahweh, that God is the covenant-keeping God, that the promises he has given to you in the past will be fulfilled. That's what you hang on to. But I have a question. Where do I get this idea of a servant of God from? You know? I mean, it hasn't said it anywhere in the text. Why do I say that Naomi is the picture of a servant of God? Verse 17. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. Now, there's a lot there in English, or a lot there in Hebrew that you can't see in English. In Greek, the language of the New Testament, in Greek, the color is in the verbs. And then in Hebrew, often, it's in the text itself. But really, in Hebrew, the the names are where the color is given. Often in Hebrew, the names of a child or the name of a grandchild gives the lesson or the point of one's life. For example, Jacob, what was his name turned to? Israel, why? Because that night he what? He wrestled with God, right? That's what his name means. Israel means wrestles with God. And what do you know about the nation of Israel ever since that night? They have wrestled with God. If you, read, if you ever read the Old Testament in a while, go read it. The name Samuel means God hears. Think about Hannah. What is she struggling with? She is a woman that is barren, that has no children. She has another wife married to her husband, and she rubs it in her face all the time that she's barren. And then Hannah prays to God, and God hears her request and gives to her Samuel. She names him Samuel. Samuel means that God listens or God hears. The name Saul means the first king of Israel. means the Lord has appointed. Jonah. What does Jonah mean? means dove. Why? That's his life. He runs from God. The name Abram turned to Abraham means the father of a great multitude. Boaz means fleetness. Ruth means companion. And we go on and on and on. I, I do all that to prove a point. That names in the Old Testament discern the meaning or the point of one's life. So then what's the question? Verse 17. The neighbor women, notice that, who gives the name of Obed to Na- who gives the name of Obed? It is the neighbor women. What are they recognizing? I think that is so interesting. It's not Ruth, it's not Boaz, it's not Naomi that names him, but it's the neighbor women. It's the women in Bethlehem in this little village. And they are recognizing something. They're seeing this woman named Naomi. And her life, a son has been born to Naomi. That's her redemption. 
Tracking with me? So the neighbor women see this child named Obed. It is given to Naomi. And they see her in a particular light. They name him. So they named him Obed. The word Obed, the name itself means to serve or to worship. Or some scholars mean a servant of God. That is the meaning of Naomi's story. It is found in the name Obed. That Naomi is the picture of a life that serves the Lord. The ups and the downs, the inner turmoil of being angry at God, of wondering why he has allowed affliction and he has, the mystery of trying to follow a God that you cannot see, taste, or touch, the struggle that you have, the, 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 if you have integrity, then when you tell other people to follow the Lord like Naomi did to Ruth and you have your own misgivings, what do you feel like? You feel like a big hypocrite. The life of a servant of God, it walks by faith and not by sight. Her life is the story of a life of a servant of God. But she still calls him Shaddai in Yahweh. She still calls him Almighty and Lord. She hasn't given up. This story is a story of redemption. It's a story of God's faithfulness. That through this son named Obed, Naomi is redeemed. She is the picture of a servant of God given by the neighbor women. And through this child named Obed, the son of man, the son of God, Jesus Christ, is born through his father named David. I said at the very beginning that we have a profound misunderstanding of what it means to be a servant of God. And our idea of a servant of God is a root cause of the dysfunction in our lives and in our church. On the surface, we believe that it says, when Jesus says, anyone who wants to come and follow me, he should deny himself, take up his cross and follow him. It doesn't say should, it says must. But allow me to say something that at the core of our dysfunction, at the core of our relationship with God, We see our walk with God as a relationship of contract. We see it as a reciprocating relationship. Okay. The term reciprocating means implies a mutual equivalent exchange or paying back of what one has received. Okay. This is how we view our relationship with God. Lord, because I do this... Therefore, you do this. Anybody else tracking with me? I mean, that's Naomi, 100%, right? God, I did everything right. I followed you. I followed my husband to a different country. I tried to raise godly sons, and you took them all away. Right? Because if I do this, God, then you have to do that. That's garbage. It is this, because God did that, I do this. Tracking? Because God did that, I do this. 
That is the life of a true servant of God. One that recognizes what God has done through His Son on the cross. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. That is a servant of God. Can I just speak? What is your contract with God? You know? We all have them. Some of us pretend that we don't have them. That God... If I buy a mug from Dallas Theological Seminary and it says, Dulas Christu Yesu, okay, if I buy that mug, then you have to do something. That's garbage. It's a lie from the pit of hell. A servant of God realizes what God has done and he serves him regardless. In your ups, be pleasant, enjoy life. In your downs, Hang on to faith. Encourage others to follow the Lord. And walk by faith and not by sight. That is the life of a servant of God. The question I have is, is your relationship with God reciprocating? Or is it timeless? Are you waiting for God to hold his end up on the bargain? Or do you realize that he's already held it up? He's already paid your sin in full. He's given you everything all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. My encouragement today is to be a servant of God. To look at your relationship with the Lord and to see if there are things that are interfering with you truly knowing and loving and following Him. But, you know, being a servant of God, you can't be one without faith in His Son. I'm just going to share real briefly. Um, becoming a Christian requires you to make a decision. We like to put off decisions, but if you think about it, we make decisions every day. You decided to get up and come to church today. You decided probably what to eat breakfast and, and uh, what you're going to do for lunch here in 10 minutes, Okay. Um, you make decisions every day, but what's weird about life is that we put off the most important ones. Okay, <laughs> right? I mean, is it, right? I mean, it's so, so stupid. Sorry if I offend you with that word. This is the truth. It's like we put off going on a date with our wife. Okay, we put off disciplining our children. We put off paying off our house or whatever. Okay, I don't know. We put off all the important decisions of life, but we make decisions every day. But that one you shouldn't put off. You shouldn't put off a lot of them. It, if you've never surrendered, if you've never been born again of the Spirit, if this sermon and the Word of God is alien to you, then you have to make a decision to truly place your faith in His Son who came and He died for your sins. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's, if you're unsure where you stand with God, make a decision. Believe and be saved. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, we look at this woman named Naomi, this servant of God, and we see her ups and her downs, her struggles that like we all have. And I pray that we would just be courageous in our love for you and that we would look at our relationship with you to see if it is a contract, to see if it's reciprocating. And Lord, I just pray that we would grow in our relationship with you, grow in our appreciation of the gospel and what you have done for us on the cross, and that we would follow you 
no matter the circumstances of our lives. Thank you for today. I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I thank you for all those that are here. I just thank you for the faithfulness to you, to this church, to support this church, to continue what's happening here. I thank you just for the privilege of being the pastor here. Um, Lord, I make mistakes, but I'm humbled to be with my people. And these are my people. And I just thank you for them. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.